The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Welcome to another episode of Story World. Me and Alex here chilling out. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going today? Yeah, it's going good. It's going good. We are excited. I'm excited. I don't know about Alex. I know I'm excited because what we are talking about is legit one of my favorite movies ever. Alex, would you like to introduce the topic for the day? Yes, because I kind of sprung this on Steve this morning or yesterday, and I knew he'd get giddy about it. So (laughs) our discussion for uh, today or this week is going to be Rocket Man. Uh, the movie, not the yeah. newest Rocket Man, the old, old Rocket. Wow, I guess it is old now. Nineteen ninety-seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be our discussion. I know it's one of Steve's favorite movies, and we watched it. Gee, a couple months ago now. I had seen bits and pieces of it. I remembered certain things that I'll discuss as we get into it, but uh, it's one of Steve's favorites, and it got a few laughs out of me as well. So that's our <laughs> topic for this week. I did notice uh, that maybe Alex wasn't as thrilled about it as I was, but it's also a nostalgic thing for me. So, well, what's uh, great though is uh, kind of thinking back on it, there are elements where I can kind of appreciate now that I've, it's kind yeah. of, you know, trying to Processing. think about what we're going to be talking about. So I think it'll be good. But before we talk about that, um, because Steve and I have so many interests in life, we're doing so many things at once, we thought that. Uh, from time to time, we would update everyone just on what we're doing in our, I guess you could say, personal lives of uh, whether it's a business venture we're doing or some type of writing we're working on. So tonight we're going to do our first one. So Steve, if you want to update me and everyone first on what you're busy doing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, today, like, so so things in, in my world have just have just been spiraling in controlled chaos, I think, um, these last few weeks it seems like uh i mean last few months for sure but 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 then even more so in these last few weeks so things are good i had my first conversation today ever with somebody about doing taxes for uh for me and the business and uh, you're a finance guy so maybe you'll you know get find find some sort of weird interest in this but um uh yeah i mean we uh you know without getting into numbers and, and stuff you know we we pretty much we more than doubled our revenue so projected revenue versus actual revenue from uh for 2021 we did um more than double what we thought we would and then um we're set up to this year probably come close to quadrupling what so in at the end of 2022 we will have quadrupled what my expectation from 2021 was which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Do you want to um, talk about what you do, Steve? 
Uh, I'm a marketing nerd. Um, I nerd out about marketing and try to convince people to listen to my nerdery and let me implement some things for them. Right. So, so you I mean, can make a living out of it. Yes, you can. You, you, you can. Well, the idea, right. So we do website design. That's kind of how my business started was, was with website design and a little bit of graphic design and stuff like that, but mostly website design. And, uh, the very short version of the story is I kind of got tired of just doing websites and then people never really doing anything with them because they looked at me as the guy who was supposed to get them results in their business, but they weren't, but they weren't paying me, you know, for those results. And so I kind of was basically like, well, I mean, if people are going to sort of expect that from me, then I'm going to start charging them for it and do it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the sort of work that we're doing now, um, is a little bit more end to end with, with, uh, with a larger client, um, admittedly than we normally started with as our sort of target. Uh, audience. So we're we're doing basically monthly marketing retainers now, working with uh, companies who are, you know, in that. Um, um, well, I can't even I can't even give a range because right now my my, my clients on this are it's actually <laughs> broad scope. It's actually crazy. Um, but 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 you know, it's it's we we small businesses though for sure. Uh, we typically work with, and typically it's going to be online entrepreneurs that we work with, course creators, membership owners. So if you guys are in that boat and you need help with your marketing, yeah, give me a holler. Um, that's the sort of work we do. And so so I was talking with the tax guy today, and that was that was really it was kind of a I don't know it was kind of a cool conversation to have, I guess, in the sense that it's kind of to the point where I need help with it now for the first time ever, and I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then me and a buddy of mine um, have started a, another company that um, has just, I mean, literally, we talked about the idea off and on over the years, but it's been probably about a month now, maybe even less, to be honest, that we decided to do something about it. And literally, I mean, let's just say it's a, let's just say it's a month. A month ago, we didn't own a domain name. There wasn't a website or anything. Um, and now, a month later, we have... Um, I, I don't want to spill the beans yet on what it is, even though this is a new podcast, listenership is still kind of small at the time of, of this recording. Uh, I don't want to spill the beans just yet because it's not quite public and we're still working out some kinks. Uh, but we have this new thing that we're starting. It's in the music industry, uh, which me and, and, and him both have a lot of context with. And we have, um, let's just say he has a family name that is pretty well known in, in, um, in the music world. And we have just about, the biggest names in at least the gospel and bluegrass genres of music that you could possibly hope to have uh, on board already and ready to like totally be behind this thing when it when it comes out. And so we're really excited about it, but it's a really busy time. So we're working on that. And Even though I am not involved in that at all. I am very excited about that. It's it's yeah, I'm excited about it to see what happens with it. Yeah, I, I, I am too. And I'm just kind of like, you know, from my perspective, I'm just sort of sitting back and watching the Lord work. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. that's, that's how I'm looking at it. You know, it, it's just, things are just falling into place at every turn, um, in, in very, very unexpected ways. It's an unusual, it's an unusual kind of thing. And, um, you know, just to, to kind of put a cap on it, like there's, we have asked for, at this point, we have feedback from, like I mentioned, um, some of the very, most recognizable names in the uh, in the world of it, it's sort of the, the the songwriting and recording industry, uh, <clears throat> you know, for the genres where we're at. We and we we've, we've shown this to people, and everybody's really excited about it. Nobody thinks it's a bad idea. Uh, we're we're begging for people to criticize us. Yeah, right, yeah, right. So no, so that we can, can that. so that we can fix it. 
and and we're not running into pushback anywhere, which is just super unusual. And so um, it's yeah, it's it's really been interesting. So I'm excited to see where it goes, and I will I promise to keep everybody here updated as that as that sort of evolves and and grows. So so that's kind of what's going on. Uh, yeah, in in my world right now. What about you? Awesome. Uh, yeah. So I guess a a couple main things. So the first one is. Rather, unlike Steve, who has kind of gone the route of employing himself, I have sold my soul to a company. Actually, no, it's not that bad. They they actually is a great company to work for. I, I love working with them and they treat me well. So I like my job um, doing the finances there. But on the side, of course, I want to do more than that. So mostly my uh, fiction fantasy writing. And then <laughs> I've, I've gone back and forth. I was talking to actually Steve about this a week or so ago where... Um, I kind of put to the side writing a little bit to really go into the video game creation. And I love that. And But then I got to the point where I felt kind of empty about not doing the writing and it just didn't set right with me. And so then I went full force with the writing recently, which has been great. But then after a couple of weeks, I noticed that I was feeling like I was missing out on creating a video game. And so... Yeah. I thought, what am I going to do? So I really, it's kind of like overkill, but I really have just started doing both. Um, it really doesn't leave me with any time to do. I, I love I love writing and I love working, but it's still you know work. I have to I have to use my mind. It's sometimes it's exhausting, especially in the middle of other stuff in life. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm working right now on both my uh, my book and also my video game. Uh, the video game has kind of been in work for a while, but it's mostly been me learning programming and just getting familiar with my art style for it's a pixel art game. So, but I really have a pretty solid foundation, all that. So, um, working on kind of the, the player controller right now, getting that set in stone. There's, I think Steve and I are going to do a couple different episodes specifically on our process for some things that we do. So I'll get into it more another time, but I had to change how I want to move the character around. So I had to revamp that. And then from my writing, I'm writing a little bit in it each day, but it's kind of different. I want to be outlining my next book while I'm finished writing my current one that I'm on. But since I'm still kind of on this first one, I'm still outlining at the same time. So right now I have the ending that I have in my head that how I, I know where I want the characters to be and how I want the book to end. I have the beginning pretty well set and now it's just connecting the pieces in the middle of how I want to put those all together. So uh, that outlining should be done hopefully by the end of this month really well. And I should have a clear picture of how I want the story to go. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. And that's really sweet. I, I was listening to, um, I think it was an audio book the other day and it just made some of the sense. People like, people like us who are, you know, we're, we're creative, we're, we're, you know, we're world, we're, we are world builders. We're creative minds. We we're trying to like, we think about big things. We solve big problems. I imagine that you and I are probably pretty close on the spectrum of, of those sorts of things. And, um, it's like, there's never, there, there almost has to be chaos, hmm. you know, in order to work. It's kind of like, you know, you staying focused on the writing or you staying focused on the, on the video game. It's, it's almost like, You'll you'll actually be less effective at one in 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 one sense than if you were just if your mind was constantly occupied with how to make both work and how to make both you know good. It, it's like I, I was telling you this in another context, but it's like for me, right? Over the past few years, my business grew slower than it probably could have had I been more focused on it. 
but I couldn't get away from doing ministry work too. Mm -hmm. I, I just, every time I tried, I just kept getting sucked back to it. And, and until now where I found a, a, a balance and that sort of keeps it's, it's chaos. It adds more chaos, but it keeps things in equilibrium uh, for me. And it right now, I finally found what it looks like, you know, right now it looks like running my business full time and then doing a podcast every Thursday and then teaching in church when the opportunity arise, uh, arises, which it does, you know, frequently enough to, to scratch the itch. And also for me to feel like I'm doing the, the work that I was, you know, called to do. So I think that's uh, perfect for you. I mean, to, to, to just, you know, what would be wrong is for you to go against your gut feeling and to pick yeah. one or the other and then be, be miserable. That's not, you know, what's right is in this sense is what you decide is right. Exactly. And I've, I've heard, um, you know, before say, you know, focus on one thing and get that done. And I think there's probably a lot of truth to that, but at the same time, like what you said, if I feel really lacking in an area, um, you know, it, it adds chaos, you know, trying to juggle both these things, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's what makes me feel complete working on both of them and that satisfaction. Yeah. Well, it also depends on your definition of success, right? So a lot of people want to define success as the completion of whatever goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, Earl Nightingale, an old motivational speaker and, uh, you know, business guru kind of guy, he always said this, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Okay, so the so the so the the person who desires to, you know, write a video game one day, or to or to 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 design to build a video game one day, it's like when is he successful? Well, according to that definition, he's successful anytime he's actively working on real realizing that goal, and so every day, right? It's so. And especially um, for, that's especially true for kind of creative type people. If, yeah. if I go, if I have a really busy work days, if it's closing or something and I don't get to work on my game or book for a couple of days, I, I feel awful. Just exactly. I feel like, like worthless and just exactly. really down. I no much. So no matter how busy a day is, I need to do something with my book and video game, something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of another quote from Rory Vaden, who's another kind of business guru guy. He says this, um, um, success is never owned. It's only rented and the rent is due every day. And I just, man, mm. I love that. That's good. You know, the rent, the rent is due every day. If you're going to make that's it good. happen. Um, wow. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, great. Well, thanks for the update. We'll probably do yeah. that every few weeks or so. I think it'd be good just to kind of keep everyone yeah. updated and, uh, see the progression kind of keep us on track too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's cool. Love stuff. So, so, uh, rocket man, um, I'm debating whether I should, Give my thoughts first or, you know what, why don't you kind of give us the rundown on what it is about? Because you are much more familiar with the ins and outs of this thing than I am. So why don't you take the lead of it? Sure. So I'll kind of give you the synopsis um, of the of the movie. And um, and then, yeah, we can just kind of jive. I have some thoughts yeah. and you have some thoughts. So um, well, the basic idea is Fred Randall is the main character and he is a uh, a computer programmer. And, um, he's, you know, I mean, he's definitely, he is a, he is the nerd of all nerds and he, he works basically for, I'm not sure if it's fair to say that he works for NASA. I think, I think he, I think he does. I, I, th I think I remember him working. I think he actually does work for NASA. I was trying to remember if it was like some other like contracted company or something, yeah. but I think it is actually NASA that he works for. And, um, well, the, the movie starts out with him as a little boy, literally tumbling around in a, um, 
in a washing machine and pretending uh, that he had a, there was like a, an easel with a, with a painting or something of the earth. And he was like looking out of the washing machine, you know, like it's the earth. And spoiler alert, you're going to get spoilers on this. Uh, you know, yes, podcast. spoilers, uh, yes. But it's been around since 1997. So get with it. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not like this came out yesterday. So, um, so he's always, you know, kind of has this dream to be an astronaut and uh, that, you know, as you find out in the very next scene after that, uh, that didn't work out. He's not an astronaut, uh, but he is a computer programmer and he does work for NASA. And there is the first ever team that is going to be going to Mars and they are there to, well, to, to do Mars things, right? To, to, to be humans who are on Mars and to, you know, do research there and to help, um, um, they're bringing a monkey along on the trip who is who is trained to help like detect intelligent life uh, and everything. I think that's his goal uh, for being there. And uh, it's definitely a, a comedy. It's a very much like a slapstick, humorous, over the top sort of sort of comedy. Um, and and so the point is that you know basically the computer engineer for the uh, for the for the space flight gets. Um, um, no, it's not that he gets hurt. He does, he does get hurt. But the reason that he gets, uh, hurt is because of, um, uh, some antics that Fred has pulled and without getting too, <laughs> without getting too deep into the thing, the, the big idea is that, um, the software program has a problem, so to speak. And it ends up that it was that computer technician guy's fault. And the story progresses to where the guy gets injured. And so somebody is going to have to take his place. The options are postpone the Mars ship that they've been working on for years, even longer. Or goofy computer programmer Fred Randall is going to Mars. Yeah, Fred, I remember uh, a part in there towards the beginning when they are, when all these problems are coming up. If I remember correctly, because I've only saw it that one time with you. Didn't they go in and were just amazed that he could fix the problem? And they're like, this guy, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that. So not only, I mean, so he built the software. So that was the whole key, right? Is that he actually built and programmed the software that like they were in there. They were, they came into this guy's office to sort of say, Hey, like the, the actual astronauts came into this guy's office to sort of say, Hey, your program is crap. It, it crashed or whatever. And he was like, no, it's perfect. And what happens is it, he runs the simulation and finds out that that when the when the computer engineer who was supposed to be going on the trip ran the the software in the simulation, it was it was he screwed up. Okay, so not only did the guy know how to fix the issue, but then um, whenever they were doing um, so that guy oh so that right so the so, sorry there was a gap in what I was saying earlier that made it a little bit unclear. So um, the guy. Actually, during the demonstration of Fred showing him how the thing was fixed, he gets injured I mean, with the with the lunar spacecraft thing <laughs> model. Right, yeah. It flings and hits the guy in the face, and uh, so he gets injured. And so then there is this basically this trial run where this there's a replacement guy who is going to get to go on this Mars ship, and so that so a good. I don't know. I want to say a quarter of the movie is spent where basically this guy, this replacement guy for the for the first computer engineer, and then Fred, the main character, um, are sort of competing for who is going to get to be the actual replacement on the Mars ship. And what's really funny about it 
is that Fred, the stupid computer engineer, passes all of the astronaut training things, the isolation training, the breathing training, the um, the the uh, G-force training. Mm-hmm. He passes them all with flying colors, even though he's this lanky nerd computer engineer guy. And the actual astronaut who is set to replace this guy not only like lose it, like like loses to Fred in all of those trials, but um, is also just um, he he gets injured throughout the pro- throughout the process as well. And so and so uh, when they're at the at the big press release when they're going to finally announce who gets to go yeah. on the Mars trip, the guy the re- the the main replacement guy. He's got like a bandage wrapped around his face. His eye is covered. He's all jacked up, but yet still so confident that he's going to be the choice. Whenever they're wrapping up for the announcement, he pulls the microphone over to his face and he's smiling and he's ready to give his announcement. And then the guy says, we'd like to welcome new, you know, astronaut Fred Randall. And the guy and Fred and Fred goes, <laughs> freaking out like he just won the Miss America pageant or something. And, and and the guy gets injured again. Everybody's throwing their hands up. It's just hilarious. <laughs> I forgot to get and, uh, again there. What's, yeah, and he got hurt again. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny because it definitely is a very, um, I guess silly humor is the word for it. It is purposely over the top. Um, yeah, I could see where a lot of people would not enjoy it. I do enjoy those movies, especially watching it with someone who enjoys it as well. But yeah, looking. I, just thinking about what we were going to talk tonight about it as, as humorous as it is and how funny his character is and just the situations of him being the best for the job. It made me think about uh, some people that I've seen in my career who um, are maybe competent at their job, maybe very much so intelligent wise and just are very awkward either socially or just a lot mm-hmm. of other things they do not get. And it's just kind of funny how uh, they kind of work that. So think if there's a mission to Mars and you have the absolute most qualified person and his name is Fred. In a real life situation, probably in the end, you wouldn't send someone like that. But at the same time, uh, how do you weigh that competence level and also the kind of awkwardness and, you know, sometimes the disconnect? Yeah. So it's kind of a. It's a, yeah. more of a serious take on it, but they really played the extreme, you know, there. No, I like that because actually thinking back to like my prior work context when I was employed, I worked with people like that who was kind of like they were really good at what they did, but they were also like super like socially awkward. <laughs> yes. And like, you know what I'm saying? It was like weird. Like they were really good at their jobs, but they weren't. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess we somehow subconsciously associate being good at your work with extroversion i don't know something something else is going on there yeah but um i don't know i'm not sure exactly what it is but yeah no i think that's a good that's a good observation um well yeah and so so i guess to kind of button up the synopsis uh you know he ends up going to mars and um the you know he we go we go through the movie and there's a big storm that comes up and he predicts that the storm's going to happen based on on weather patterns and things that he's seeing on the trip there and they 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 complete the mission uh, successfully. He gets the girl and the end, uh, but with a lot of laughter uh, yes. through, throughout the throughout the process. So that's kind of the main synopsis of the movie. And um, um, yeah, so, well. yeah, 
Yeah. So it definitely has that silly humor. Um, it definitely. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of along the lines of, I guess you would kind of say Napoleon Dynamite almost. So yeah. most people think it's silly and funny, but then other people, it's kind of got like an off humor to it. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. It makes me just roll in laughter. It the does. I, mu- time. I must say Steve probably laughed through the whole thing. I found entertainment in it, but there were still a few times where it really got me laughing. I think it's because I was not expecting yeah. certain things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of my, uh, I, I, I don't know why. But uh, anytime there's a flashlight scene in a movie, it always gets me cracking up. <laughs> this is one of those things that you oh, don't man. expect to happen. But if it's a movie like this, it's going to happen. Yeah. And just uh, how yeah. it happened. Yeah. Again, we're going to talk about some spoilers, but they're, uh, they have to connect their spacesuits up on Mars. And then Fred just keeps just keeps on letting it go. And it's getting to the other guy's tank. And I forget yeah. the culmination of it, but that was. That process lasted a long time. It wasn't just once or twice. I think that was about a two or three minute scene where it did not. It was. And, yeah, it was. And that's what made me laugh the hardest at first. I was like, oh, that's so funny. And then it just kept going and going and going. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I had one of those scenes in there and it it, it got me. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's one of those um, it's one of those uh, movies, too, that has a lot of like. Maybe. Uh, it's hard to say whether this is objective or subjective um, because it's one of those movies that has like, there's a lot of lasting. Um, I want to, I want to almost call them. Oh, this is, this is interesting. I love when conversations go this way. Okay. So like in my life, there are almost artifacts of this movie that show up. So uh, do you know what I'm talking about when I say an artifact? Like a lot of times you can, you can look at, um, like old TV screens, they have like an artifact in them, so it's it's like a, a particular, like a burn-in. Like there's a particular, oh yeah, 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 yeah. like a like a burn-in of some image that was on the TV for a long time for some sort of reason. Of little things like that, or little imperfections in the screen or whatever that are that are lasting. They call those an artifact. Um, and of course, if you think about artifact in like the main term, you think about it would be like an enduring yeah. piece of history, right? Um, and so there are these artifacts from this movie that show up in my life. Now, I don't know if they show up in anybody else's life. I do know they show up in my best friend's life because this is one of his actual favorite movies as well, which explains a lot probably uh, about us. But it's 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 really, um, there are, if you can't relate to that with this movie, I think you can relate to this with other movies in your past. So what do I mean? Let me give a, con- let me give a concrete example. I-, I could probably think of like three concrete examples from this movie of, of things that uh, show up later in my life as artifacts. So there's this scene in the movie where um, he's getting ready to leave for NASA uh, to go and start training as an astronaut. And his um, he's packing up. He still lives with his parents. And his parents are almost just everything you would expect them to be. They're yeah. just hilar- you know, hilarious and just as over the top as he is. And... So he, so he's packing up and everything. And I think at the time of this movie, he's, he's like supposed to be 39 years old, I think, or something. I think he's like 39 about it. Yeah. In in this movie. And, um, and, and, and so his mom, as he's leaving and packing up his car, brings out this plate full of of peanut butter jelly sandwiches that have been cut up into various (laughs) shapes with like a cookie cutter. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a rocket, there's a star, there's whatever. And she brings it out. And, um, and, and two things from that, like the one thing he says, ah! you know, he's, he's kind of like gets his puberty voice going on. And he, At 39. 39. <laughs> I'm 39 years old. I'm almost a full grown man. And, <laughs> and, and then finally he goes, I'll take the rocket, you know, and he eats the rocket. He eats the rocket ship one because he because he gives up, and so that 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 so that I'm almost a full grown man. Like that that is like an artifact that has shown up later in my life. Like all the time, you know. That'll I like I'll say that and it'll almost be like an inside joke or whatever to people who you know are close to me and they and they get it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that's one of them. Um, uh, there was another one I was just thinking of, um, but I'm having a. Um, I'm having trouble remembering it for some for well, some reason. Of course, well, you think about it. I'll step in for some interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you remember me saying this during the movie, but I watched maybe five or ten minutes of this when I was, I don't know, twelve years old. Gee, how long ago was that? Seventeen years ago. So it was a long time ago. And the the reason why I remember it is because, I. Uh, there's a scene in there where he uh it's it's quite humorous. The monkey ends up taking his uh what do you call it, a sleeping pod that he's supposed to sleep in for eight months. Yeah. So he can't fit to the monkeys. And so he spends the next eight months awake and the food that he does not enjoy eating, he decides to use as paint and paints uh mirrors all over the aircraft. And when I at so when I was watching it with Steve, I said, Wow, I watched this part. And it's so funny to think that. I remember when I was 12 years old and all the way up to watching this movie, every once in a while, that scene would pop into my head. And what's funny, because I was so much younger then, I only saw that brief clip. I, For some reason, I had the mentality that it was a very um, serious movie. I, oh, I wow. don't know why, but so I had the mentality of, I always wanted to watch that movie again, because I wonder what the conclusion of that was or what that guy was really yeah. trying to do. And then it turns out it's, it's something stupid, <laughs> but right. Funny yeah, that yeah, yeah. had stuck with me through all those years. I saw it. I knew it right away from when I watched it as, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. Um, yeah. So, so I remember, I, I remember what I was going to say. There's two other scenes. One of them is where the chimp, they're like doing some training stuff. And, uh, it's the, the girl, there's a girl who becomes his love interest uh, in the movie. Her name is Julie. And so she trains the chimp. And so in this one scene, like it shows her communicating with the chimp and, and she's going like, oh, ah, ah, like, and, and so like, every, right. I don't know, whenever we see chimps or whenever like our, our kids are running around and we're observing them in the wild, we, you know, me and my wife will yeah. kind of break out into a, into a chimp thing. And then there's this one scene and, the, and this will be the last one I mentioned, um, where like they're doing the, 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 the checklist, you know, the pre-flight check for, for actually launching. And the guys are like, you know, EM, EMV and, you know, CCN and whatever. And, and 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 Fred has no idea what they're talking about. So he goes, yeah. CNN, ABC, you know, TCPY, you know. Yeah. And and that shows up every now and then whenever I hear a three-letter acronym. You know. Yeah, they do so I just, for it. Yeah, I just think it's funny how little artifacts like that, like, like that's, but that's how, okay, just so to, to kind of really bring it around, like that's how impressionable stories are, right? I mean, it's like you're never, you know, you're never going to remember just a list of facts from a movie. But you will remember th- incidents and and scenes and stories that can sort of plant a little a little seed. And so uh, again, to t- to really bring it in home for me, like from the marketing angle, 
how powerful that those little scenes right there were so memorable. And, and maybe even your example is even a better example because it is something where you remembered that one scene from that movie pretty vividly, even though you didn't keep the context of the movie as a whole with you because you didn't see it, but you were so young, saw it one time, and yet you still remembered that one scene. That's honestly how powerful stories are um, and, and imagery in stories is. And so imagine from a business standpoint, if you're able to create that kind of association in the mind of the watcher or of the reader or, or, or however you're engaging with your potential audience, that's powerful stuff. And that's, that's part of why I do what I do and why I think it's so fascinating and why we're talking about stories now. Yeah, creating a, creating a feeling in someone or instilling something like that and without even them even realizing it, like what you were saying, it's kind of with me, like for instance, I'm going through this Cimmerillion right now and it's, yeah. I mean, it's basically like one fact after another. There's some really good stories in it, including probably the best love story ever written. You'll have to read it sometime. Yeah. Um, and it, so there's some good stories, but it's mostly, you know, very historical and this is how this happened, this is how this happened, here's this problem. And there's so many things that you can memorize, facts and yeah. names and everything. But I, I don't read it to study the names. There are some, you know, token fanatics out there that, you know, know everything in the back of their head and who created this and what and, and all the names. And I remember a good chunk of them, but at the same time, I mostly remember just just flat out what happened in the feeling yeah. that a story gave me. So when I think about the new Lord of the Rings show coming out, I could picture myself in those areas that were described in the Cimmerillion. And I can picture the the overall feeling of evil coming up and what's going to happen uh, versus me thinking, thinking, oh, yeah, I wonder if this person's going to be in this spot talking to this person. And I know some people probably do get enjoyment out of that, but a lot of times just creating a feeling, we get it from music, too. I uh, think uh -huh. about music, I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe not, maybe it's just me, but I know that for me, if I listen to a band a lot, say in high school, and I haven't listened to them in years, and I think, oh, I'm going to listen to them again. I listen to them now. It puts me right back to when oh, I yeah, say to that. And totally. it, nothing even, uh, for some reason, it's uh, Sanctus Real. I was really big into them, like my junior yeah. high school, I think. And I remember every time I listened to them, I could just picture driving to school when it was nice weather. It was like May or something. And I listened to them for about a month straight, just couldn't get enough of them. And just, it takes me back to that feeling of the windows down and everything. And it just, it gives you that feeling of that time that you were in your life listening to that. So stories can do the same thing too. Um, it's very interesting. Man. No, I never, yeah, I, that's, that's huge. I, well, I mean, and songwriting is storytelling. Um, absolutely. Even if it's not, you know, you know Billy Bob did this and Susie did that, it still tells some mm -hmm. sort of story in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, thousand percent. Much every song does that, or nearly every mm -hmm. song. Yeah. Well, the successful ones, anyway. The ones yeah. you hear about, yeah, invite you into a story. I mean, I was singing Taylor Swift love story in the shower the other morning, and I'm not, I'm man enough to admit Ooh, Steve. it. Steve, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, right? but I mean, it's like it's a love story. Hey, it's <laughs> it's just, you know, come on. Um, so yeah, yeah. So so there's that. Um. So uh, I guess re returning to, to the subject at hand a little bit, Rocket yes. Man here. Um, I love that it's about space. I, I you know, and I know you'd probably do too. I mean, you're big on the space movies, yes. and I, I actually kind of thought this was, um, 
you don't typically see your space movies associated with comedy. Um, like I was thinking so, that exact same know? thing. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's usually very serious unless you have a spoof like uh, Spaceballs or something. But generally, your original movies, though, technically, you know, really are serious having to do with space. You're right. Yeah, exactly. And and so given that, we'll talk about this in a minute, but but given that, I actually thought, um, well, actually, that was my next point. So I'll just go into it, is is that the humor is actually balanced with a strong dose of drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even the hero's journey. All right, so I'm I'm gonna fair warning. I'm gonna diatribe on this just just a little bit. But if you'll bear with me, um, I think we're actually gonna talk a little bit about this in the next episode. So if you want to hear us go even deeper into this, um, to a to a certain degree, then then definitely listen to the next one, um, or watch the next one. But um, but so so the hero's journey is just a classic. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know what it is. Classic storytelling framework, um, that is um, uh, almost endemic to most fiction stories, or at least many fiction stories, I would say most, um, and has been co-opted, in a sense, uh, for the world of marketing. And so I first learned about it in a marketing context. And when I learned about it, it ruined every movie for me um, ever. (laughs) And until I was doing show prep for this episode, I never realized that this story, despite it being a comedy, was a classic hero's journey and it took me about five minutes to actually outline the hero's journey of this movie partly because i know the movie so well and partly because i know the hero's journey framework so well but i thought it might actually just be interesting to um to walk through that yeah because i'm because the way i'm going to format the story for you in this hero's journey is is following literally exactly the process called story brand of creating a brand script that i take marketing prospects through any when i onboard somebody into my marketing this is what we do, but for their business. And so we're talking about it in the context of a fiction movie. And so I think you might find this really interesting. So we start with the uh, end in mind. That's an old Stephen Covey principle, begin with the end in mind. And um, that is character transformation. So before we can lay out the story for a hero, uh, whether in fiction or in re- in nonfiction or real life, however you want to put it, um, you kind of have to know where, where the character is and where the character is going. And so in this case, basically the story takes this character, Fred Randall, from a computer nerd who's never been taken seriously to a brave, confident astronaut, which is what he's always wanted. So that is the character transformation. So it is the burden of the of the screenwriters and the directors and the producers to make a movie that fulfills that mission and that character transformation. And so Fred's problem is that he does work he likes. But he dreams of bigger things. And I mean, who isn't there, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's like when I was doing IT full-time, I did work I liked, but I dreamt of bigger things. Um, many people are there. I mean, you you do work that you like, but you dream of becoming a, a, a published fiction writer. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, it, it's very relatable. Okay, so we're all the hero in our own story. Um, so that's his problem. Uh, does work he likes, dreams of bigger things. Um, but there's a villain in Fred's story and the villain is the guild. Okay. That is the real astronauts. Okay. The, the, the real astronauts are, are out to get Fred. They are holding him back. Um, and, and not, not letting him realize his full potential or at least making it very difficult for him to do so. And if you would watch the movie, you would see what I'm talking about, right? There are, there are just at every turn, the real astronauts are sort of out to get Fred because they don't think he deserves to be in their 
choose because he's a nerdy, lanky computer programmer and they've spent their entire lives being astronauts and so or, or preparing for this and, and, and then living into that role. And so that's why it just adds insult to entry and it really beefs up the comedy when it turns out that he's doing better. He literally, there's a guy whose name is Bill Overbeck in the movie and he is Fred's hero. I mean, he is just, he just looks up to this guy like nobody's business. And he breaks, you know, they make it a point in the movie to mention that, that Fred, during his astronaut training, breaks basically all of his records. His G-Force record, his breathing record. Um, there might have been another one as well, but he definitely, in the movie, breaks those two records um, of his heroes and almost effortlessly. So it's kind of funny how the authors work in this, this little, these little wins um, over the villain. Um, but that's the villainous, I would say, the guild, the real astronauts. Okay, the external problem. There's a problem in the movie, and the problem is basically the Mars team needs a computer specialist. That's the problem. Um, if you, I mean, there's other little mini problems you could work in, but that's the overall problem uh, externally. The internal problem, though, is that Fred has zero confidence that he can really do the job. He's always wanted to be an astronaut, but Fred really has no confidence and no idea that he could actually do that one day. He doesn't believe in himself um, in that sense. He doesn't know that he can do it, that he's up for the job. Uh, there's also a philosophical problem going on in this movie, and that is that the good guys should always win. Okay, the good guys should 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 be the ones who who come out on top, and and the good guys in this case are the underdogs, the Fred Randalls, the you know the people who who, who probably deserve a chance, but in you know other than freak accident circumstances, they would never get one. Um, you know, in these cases, the good guys should win. All right, so so far we have a character, Fred, who is the computer nerd wants to be an astronaut, but he's got a problem. Um, he's got astronauts, the Guild of Astronauts working against him because he's not a real astronaut. He um, needs to solve this problem of a computer programmer actually going, or a computer specialist going on the Mars mission, um, but he's not confident that he can really do the job, and um, the good guy should always win, but he kind of feels like he's always lost um, throughout the course of time. So enter the guide on the scene. This is your Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is your this is your Gandalf, okay? But in this context, your guide is Bud Nesbitt. Okay. Now every guide, and I was as I was doing this, I was just amazed, okay? Every guide should have empathy and authority, or else he's not worthy to be a guide. Now, in the business world, when you're filling out this this brand script, the hero of the story is your client or your customer, or your student, or your patient, or whatever, you know, whatever your business is, but then you were the guide. So in the, in the story of your customer as a business owner, or as a, as a business leader, or whatever, you are Obi-Wan, right? You are um, Gandalf, you are Buzz Nesbitt. And in order to qualify for that position, you have to have both empathy and authority. And I was shocked when I was looking at this at how well Bud Nesbitt, the guide in, in Fred Randall's story, fit the bill. He's got empathy because he was also the screw up. Okay. And so the movie works in this, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but they work in this dose of reality. So if you remember a couple, uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago, when we talked about our favorite stories, we talked about the movie Apollo 13. Of course, it was based on a true story, one of my absolute favorite movies. And it, it just to briefly get you back there. The whole point of that movie and that real life scenario is there was a, a, a basically an O-ring that was jacked up and during the oxygen tank stir, it got messed up. They lost all their oxygen and they had to get back home. And in 
in Rocket Man, they they work in this story, and the guide who enters Fred's story, Bud Nesbitt, is still working at NASA, and he is the guy who is responsible for, or at least is the one who has taken the blame for, um, the problem that occurred on that spacecraft to help Apollo 13, um, or, or to cause the problem for Apollo 13. So, so this this guide enters into Fred's world and 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 he can empathize with Fred because he was also the screw up. He knows what it's like to be in over his head, to have a a problem, to to be made fun of, right? Like like one of the one of the main antagonists in the in the movie is like the flight mission leader or whatever. And and he's always cracking jokes at at Bud uh because he screwed up this thing in the yeah. past. And so you so see you, you you sort of see how even though even the guide, like both the guide and the hero, are sort are sort of getting the third degree from this one villain uh, in in the story, and so I thought it was interesting how they worked that in. But also, I mean, despite that screw up and despite um, you know him being able to empathize with Fred and get on Fred's level, he also has authority. I mean, obviously, you know, even though he's being blamed for this and, and held responsible, um, he's still a highly respected person at NASA. You know, his opinion carries weight and he is still an authority. And so he is able to come in as an ally and as a guide for Fred. Okay. The guide in the story has to give the hero the plan. Okay. So um, I'm not super good on my Lord of the Rings. And so I don't want to screw this up too bad. So I'm going to speak very generally. And Alex can correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, this is basically, um, you know, where Gandalf sort of tells um, Frodo, or at least hints to Frodo, that 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 there's a job to do, and this this ring has to be, you know, destroyed, and it is now up to Frodo to make it happen, and and that that mission is reinforced along the way. Is that at least a very broad, fair characterization of yeah. what's going on in the rings? Okay, All right. So good. So Gandalf gives Frodo a, a plan. Okay, we call it a process plan. There's two types of plans. A process plan and an agreement plan. The process is typically your step one, step two, step three. Um, this is what you need to do. This is your mission. The agreement plan, um, there, you're not always going to have both of these. You know, Sometimes you'll have one or the other, but sometimes you'll have both. The agreement plan is more of like in the business world, like a guarantee. Okay? And so... There's actually two. There is a process plan and an agreement plan in this movie. Um, on the process plan, um, it's basically take a trip to Mars, land the spacecraft successfully, and um, live happily ever after. I guess it, 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 right is really the point. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but but that's the mission. The, the mission is be you know get the spacecraft landed successfully after you take the trip to Mars, and um, and that's it. I mean, they encounter problems along the way. But that's the idea. That's what he has to set out on. And all along the way, Fred is instilling, or Bud is instilling that confidence in Fred that he needs to complete that internal journey. And then the agreement plan they make happens in a very specific scene where Bud gives um, gives Fred a coin. So they're on the platform. Literally, Fred is walking onto the space shuttle. Bud accompanies up the elevator and everything. And at that very last moment, gives him a coin. He said. He was given three coins early in his career. He mentions that, I forget who, oh, he gave one to uh, Neil Armstrong. 
uh, who everybody knows, first man to walk on the moon. He gave one to um, Jim Lovell, who was the uh, sort of leader on the Apollo 13 mission. And um, one of them was for courage. One of them was for something else. And then one was for bravery. And the bravery one he gives to Fred. So, so this is, okay, I love this. So this is, so this is the agreement plan now, right? This is, this is Bud's affirmation of Fred's internal problem. I know you're scared. I know you're not confident, but I'm going to give you this bravery coin that was given to me. And this is going to be our agreement, right? This, this is going to be, when you have this, you will be brave and you will get the job done. Um, and then every story can either end in a success or a failure. So it's very clear that a success for Fred would be to complete the mission, would be to get the girl. Uh, and again, I know some of that stuff may sound like, where did that come? Get the girl. But if you watch the movie, that's where you'll get all this stuff. Because all these scenes are opened up throughout and these story loops are opened up throughout the movie that need a resolution. And so for Fred, success would be complete the mission, get the girl, earn the respect of the actual astronauts, and then gain that self-confidence internally. And he also has to avoid the failure. Okay, so the failure would be crash the spacecraft, um, get stranded in the sandstorm on Mars, be humiliated, and then lose his chance with Julie. And so, um, right, again, so I, I take businesses in the work that I do through this exact process and help them craft a story for their customers and clients to, to live inside of. And this is exactly what this slapstick, over-the-top, humorous space movie does is, is give you this hero journey um and I, I, I don't know i just think it's amazing yeah it's uh it's it's funny just watching it you don't think too much of it because it's just silly but really even though it might be bare bones it really covers everything that makes your traditional story and your hero story whether it's the hero story or just your typical conflict and resolution, you get the girl, it's, they really crammed it all in. It granted, it follows a formula that we're all familiar with. It doesn't really do anything nifty, but it's there. And so it, it makes a consensus yeah. story and that's why it works. Right. Well, that's why I was said, you know, I mean, by all accounts, a successful mm -hmm. movie. I mean, how many other movies came out in 1997 that you remember, you know, and it's usually, usually, Here's the thing about story. It's so funny. You know, we've got we've got a list a mile long of topics to talk about. We we think of new ideas every week. And but the funny thing about it is, is that when you deviate from what works in the story, that's when you tell a bad story. You know why you never hear about most indie films? Because the stories intentionally deviate from standard accepted practices. And it's very hard to do that and be successful. The best stories, I have, a, I have a music corollary to this as well. The best stories follow a very small set of very well-known frameworks. And the way the stories work, because you get emotionally involved in them, you're not analyzing, unless you're a nerd like me, you're not analyzing that framework. But, it, but even me, even being a nerd though, I can retroactively look back at it, but I never, until I was prepping for this podcast, after having seen Rocketman, plenty of times trust me i've never thought about rocket man as a hero's journey but when i analyzed it when we analyzed it yes yeah, okay. it's, it's pretty clear as day now in music there's a corollary to this called the four chord song okay 
Now, if you don't believe me, go to YouTube and type in the four chord song. And I, I want to say, I forget, I, I forget who the, the, the band who put this video out was. Um, it wasn't Flight of the Concords, I don't think. Um, but, but anyway, it, it, it's, trust me, you will find it if you search for four chord song on YouTube. And, and basically, it's, it's a little bit older. It's a few years old. But the video walks through all the hits of the last few decades. And they all follow the same in music. It's a one, five, six, minor, four um, pattern. And it, it's kind of like there are great songs, great songs that don't have that pattern. But it is almost universal. If you want a radio hit in popular music, rock music, pop music, some R&B, whatever, if you, want, if you want one of those hit radio songs, it, it almost has to follow that framework because for whatever reason that humans love it i don't know we eat it up we we eat up at that particular framework and i promise go listen to that four chord song on youtube and i just ruined all your favorite songs because you can sing them all together and it works so it, it's uh obviously don't want to go too far down the travel but it, it is interesting that uh specifically music you apply it to movies too but with music how you're kind of wondering why why are all these hit songs kind of sound alike or they have that same type of feel and that's exactly why and mm -hmm. when i think about the music that i like to listen to it's very different it's very experimental and it's not popular i mean it is but right. for for the greater masses it really isn't and so right it won't films, have that people, uh, right. exactly like we were saying about movies i some of my favorite movies uh break not a hundred percent from this formula because it's kind of hard to deviate from that formula a hundred percent um you you could actually do a lot with it but we can talk about that another time but when you really try to disrupt the formula a lot and try to do something unique and new it might work but even if it does work a lot of people just might not get it and it might not appeal to a lot of people so you're right in order to kind of have that mass popularity whether it's you know fictional storytelling or music it you kind of have to follow the formula and that's where You'd still be kind of creative to it. But anyway, that goes to another topic of, you know, exactly what you want to do with creativity and how you, uh, you know, your decision and, and trying to please the masses or do something for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, it's, it, it's, you just have to, well, I, I guess, I don't know. It's almost like, what's another corollary to that? Oh, well, we were talking about it earlier. I do intermittent fasting um, in, in my, uh, in my business or in, in my business, I do intermittent fasting in my life. Sorry. My, my son came in a minute ago and now I'm distracted. Um, I do intermittent fasting and it's like, I'm surprised every time I do it again, intermittent fasting co combined with like a ketogenic uh, carnivore type of diet. Um, it's like, I get surprised all over again every time, but it only takes like two or three days mm -hmm. to get into this rhythm. And once you're in the rhythm, it's like surprising. Oh, the weight starts coming off pretty quickly. Your stomach goes down. You're not bloated anymore. You get mental clarity like nobody's business. You can actually wake up in the morning. And it's like, oh, well, if you, so if you want to see the result, you just you just do it. You can almost do it um, at will, right? And so that, so so I don't want to say, you know, you, you do have to, there is definitely skill in storytelling. But I promise you, if you're going to write a song that you want to have mass appeal, you, you know, you're 50% of the way there if it just, plays by the rules of what makes a hit song to start with. And then you have to have creativity beyond that. But if it, it but if it, but if it plays by the baseline rules to start with, you're good. Same in stories. I mean, it's like, it, it, you know, 
it, it's probably fair to say, so like in, in, in sales copy, sales letter language, I've heard it said that about 50% of all sales letters follow a, a 50% of the most successful sales letters follow just a standard problem, agitate, solve type of script. So I would, I, again, I'm not, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a statistician and most, you know, 97% of all statistics are made up anyway, but I, it's probably fair to say that something like 50% of all stories ever told in the history of time, maybe more follow the hero's journey framework. So it almost doesn't even make sense to like try to get good at another one until you're good at that one. And then if you could tell a good story and get people wrapped up with your own unique take on a basic hero's journey framework, okay, then maybe you can move on from there. But it's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to do something that is, is that gets that mass appeal, um, start with something that works and build onto it from there. My thing I just I, thought of, just because it comes up naturally, is a challenge yeah. for anyone listening. Pick out a movie or a book that you think, and granted, there's movies and books that are more original than others, quite a bit more even, but pick out a very original movie that you really like and just try to pick through what aspects of it follow the hero's journey or your typical yeah. story block. Pretty much guaranteed most of the time there's some sort of hero figure, an internal struggle, an external struggle, and then a resolution over those things. It might not always be a love story. There might not always be a mentor, but chances are um, they're going to have a good amount of those basic story plot elements. Yeah, and listen, like this even applies in niche ways too. Okay, does Alex married? Alex is married. I'm married. So we we've, we've we've seen our share probably of Hallmark movies. Uh, I know I've seen my share. What, of Hallmark what's that? Movies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Give me a break. That's like asking what what dishes are. Um, so, um, yeah. No, I, I I mean, so I don't. I mean, maybe they follow the hero's journey. I don't know, but let's let's pretend they don't. All Hallmark movies basically follow the exact same formula of some of some sort. And I can, I mean, I can, I can basically just give you the, the, the brief layout of it is something like this. Girl is some successful career person, go has some inciting incident, sends her back to her hometown. She goes to her hometown. Oh, by the way, girl has a a a a male figure in her life that is um you know, he's successful, he looks good, but he's got some character flaws. Girl goes back to her hometown, helps Granny or cousin Eddie or whoever it is with her with, with their problem, reconnects with an old love interest from town, falls in love with the guy, falls in love with the town, fights a struggle about whether they should go back to their career and their good-looking man, decides to ditch the career and the good-looking man to go back for a man who meets her needs emotionally and is still at least kind of good-looking. And lives in her small town happily ever after. I'm sorry, but I promise you, I just described at least seven out of ten <laughs> of, of every Hallmark movie, or at least all the all the good Christmas ones, because that's typically like that's the time when I would see but, it, right? It's during Christmas. I you promise know, you, that's all of them. Like but, basically, you know what though? It, it works because people watch it. I know. That's my point. My yeah. point is that if it Hallmark works. is not going to go creating a bunch of new original movies that don't follow that structure. Why? Because this is the structure that works. Milk it until it stops working. And guess what? Since since these sorts of story patterns are embedded in the human psyche, they're never going to stop working. And that's actually very good news for you. I mean, it's like I can say for you, Alex, as a fiction writer, this is great news for you. The hero's journey is not going to get old 
in whatever, in five, let's, let's say five years, 10 years. In 10 years from now, if it takes you that long to get picked up as a fiction writer, Lord really, I hope it happens sooner than that. But like, if it takes you 10 years, you can rest confident in knowing that the hero's journey is still going to be alive and well in 10 years. So you've got 10 years or, or however long you need to get good at telling that story. It's just a matter of how good you are at telling that story and bringing a little bit of a unique twist and a unique idea. Uh, in, in marketing, we call it an angle. When you can come up with an angle and a payoff and then tell your story, boom. Well, that's the and, that's the secret. And that's what I struggled with in the past too, was learning that there that there is a structure that you really do need to follow. You don't have to follow 100%, but what makes some of the the books, the stories that I really love and who authors who do it really well, really follow certain structures and that plan, not 100%, but generally speaking. And the thing that sets them aside is adding some type of originality here or a new angle there. Like you're saying, it's a new angle, but they don't totally shift everything happening now obviously there's some exceptions i'm sure there's oh well this author did this and it totally doesn't obviously those are out there but generally speaking there are certain formulas formulas and structures that need to follow to have a successful story yep 100 percent. and despite how silly or whatever it may be rocket man <laughs> yes rocket man is successful precisely because that's what it does it yes. follows that it follows that pattern with a unique and original take, it brings a, a space element, which is normally seen as a serious type of movie. It gives that slapstick humor. That's the angle. And it follows the hero's journey and their successful payoff at the end. And boom, that's all, that's all you need, really, to um, to make a great and impressionable story. So uh, should we move on to our story yeah, of the this, week? Yeah, let's move on to the story of the week. Um, just to kind of wrap all that up too. I know that Steve and I kind of went a lot of different directions, but that's kind of what we're here to do. It was something like this. I guess we could have talked about the movie within 10 or 15 minutes, but you know, our, we really want to get down to what makes a story and story and view all these elements and how it applies to our lives and what we do personally. And so we're probably going to have a lot of rabbit trails in the future. Some episodes, maybe less than others, if there's a real focus subject we want to hit home on our next one i think will probably be more like that but when we're just generally talking about a movie or a simple subject matter for kind of a fun it usually will probably deviate into different avenues and that's what we kind of want to do yeah i think i think you should just as a listener just plan on that uh you know this is this very much a lot of these topics are springboards we each have a lot of things just loaded in sort of our mental gun uh that we could say about these things and so like the point is to take as much time uh within reason as we need to get these ideas out there so Absolutely. That's it. Um, so I'll go with my story of the week first. Um, okay. It's kind of different. I'm actually going to have two. One's, I'm going to make them both quick. So one, even though I think last week I used the Lord of the Rings one, um, there's a, another big info dump today about the new Lord of the Rings show. I'm not going to go too much into it. You can go out there. There's a very long article and it just looks very promising about the show. Um, just the amount of care that the writers have for it talking to the token estate about um, how they want the story to go. Um, I'm sure there's going to be people who are just going to be unhappy no matter what, because of this reason or that reason. But it really looks like that. Um, I, I didn't notice apparently um, Bezos is a very big Lord of the Rings fan too, really wants to take it seriously. And it just, so far it looks like, yeah. So, so far it looks like everything is really going the way it's designed to. Um, oh, cool. and I'm, I'm very excited about it. I, I found out that the wheel of time series, um, has about 80, had about an $80 million budget 
for the first season, I think it is. And then the this Lord of the Rings one, I got off a little bit, but then the Lord of the Rings one had about a half a billion. And so the production value on it is just massive to get. But wow. anyway, uh, that's kind of like my news update. Are you okay if I do another huge. second one? Yeah, do Yeah, please. This, this, one, this one actually came up to me when you were talking about artifacts. And I don't know why, but this just popped in my head. Um, it didn't happen like this week or anything. It's just a story that I think happened a year or two ago, but I, I just remembered it. Um, there's a video game that came out several years ago. I think maybe 15 years ago in the original Xbox um, called Rally Sports Challenge, I think. I never owned an Xbox, but I think that's what it looks like the name of the game is. And I don't know much about the game, but I know there's a feature on there where um, when you go around a track and you go around again, your best time will show the car in ghost form. So you can like race against your best time and try to beat it every time. So this uh, one kid, I say kid, maybe, I don't know if he is 15 or 20 or something. His uh, father passed away when he was really young. And um, so he grabbed his um, dad's old Xbox out and was playing this game and saw the ghost car racing and clicked that it was his dad's previous record that he held. And so the kid was racing against his dad trying to beat him and beat him it took him a long time and finally he got to the point where he passed his dad and was going to beat him but then slowed down at the end and let his dad win so like, whenever he got on he could always see his dad playing with him. i just thought that was a re- that is so cool it's oh a, man it's just a real heartfelt story and oh, the first time i heard that man it just it got me in the field mm. so, it's a great one well, I probably, yeah, that gets me because I, that was one of the things I used to do with my dad was play Xbox and he yeah. passed away in 2001. Actually, it was PlayStation. It wasn't Xbox that, yeah. we, we, that we usually played, but we played racing games. So um, that's crazy. Like, I can totally see that. Wow. That's something. Um, Steve Story. Steve Story. Yeah. So um, I actually thought that this is actually kind of like a hint of irony because your yours were, uh, yeah. Kind of fiction related, but also real world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things that are happening. Um, mm-hmm. Mine is fiction related, okay. which is which is which is a little different. Um, and so there is this. I thought since we were on space, I would just mention this. So um, a couple of years ago, I got into this audio drama, which it's a podcast audio drama called uh, "Girl in Space," and it's don't it's really good. It's great. I don't know that it's necessarily anything like. Um like spectacular but i mean it is it is very very well done and um it's actually the first ever audio drama i ever heard and um like i and now i know there's like a lot of especially in christian circles like adventures and odyssey like there's a lot of these oh boy um but i never really listened to those and and so this was kind of like my first foray into into that and um i think we're still we've been waiting on season two for like years now or maybe it's season three i forget exactly but but it's it's so good i've still got it in my podcast player just waiting for her to release the next thing um and uh it's just really good production value and a good a good story i mean she's a writer um and she actually teaches writing um her name is sarah something i think i can't remember her name exactly but she, she actually teaches writing and um so it's 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 very well written it's very well produced uh it's a podcast called girl in space so you know, go listen to the episodes that are out there, and you may have to wait a little while before you get uh, the next uh, uh, installment of the story. 
but it's a very, very good audio drama that I highly recommend. And uh, it's just, it's kind of special to me because um, that gave me a context for audio dramas. And so because of that, I now listen to some other audio drama things. And um, like the Lord of the Rings uh, that I'm listening to is actually a dramatized audio version of the Lord of the Rings. And I'm really, really digging it. Um, So yeah, that was kind of a huge um, thing for me. And I think uh, I, I, I happen to be quite, confident just from what i know about marketing and trends and and watching influencers and following people i know that this decade uh despite the fact that that you know tiktok is so huge and instagram reels and all these and and video is big um uh audio is going to be this is going to be the decade of audio to be honest it's it's going to be a really interesting uh, decade for audio and so i'm just really interested in people doing high production value things um in audio form and uh so um i am uh i'll since you did too i'll sneak in a brief second one since it's so closely related but one of my favorite business authors mike mccallowitz um he always makes it a point to when he's doing his audiobooks he treats them as a performance so his audiobooks are a little special they're 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 different than just buying the book you'll get some extra insights as he goes along and things that he'll sneak in there that you can't get in the regular book, even some interviews and things that they'll put at the That's end cool. of the book. Um, it's a performance for him. It's really something different. So I, I do think high production value audio is going to be a huge thing this decade. So I'm really into that, and I think you should be too. So Awesome. That's good. Yeah, looking forward to I never thought about that. But yeah, that's, I mean, you have all the equipment that you need. Yeah, it's also it's, it's easier in some senses to do high production audio than it is video. So... I can yeah. see that. Well, excellent. Um, so that wraps up our episode for today. Um, if you're, uh, if you've listened to the end this far, you probably like it. Or I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> you enjoy our episodes if you're listening to the end. So if you do like it, um, pretty much on whatever platform you're listening to, there's usually a share button. Just go ahead and hit the share button and post it on Facebook. Or even if you don't feel comfortable posting it on Facebook, send it to a friend through a text message and just say, hey, I didn't think you might like it. And just share it with us. Um, and then you can talk about it with them. And if there's any comments or questions or suggestions that you have for us, feel free to let us know as well. Um, but yeah, just, just share it. Um, it's fun going through stories together and discussing all these different topics and, uh, really enjoy having everyone listening. Yep. I could have, could have said it better myself. Y'all take care. See ya.